Welcome to Deep Breath In, the podcast for GPs about the highs and lows of primary care, brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection. This week, we're delighted to have a returning guest with us, Claire Kay. Claire was a GP before deciding to become a coach, and we found her way of thinking through GP wants and needs so useful that we've invited her back. Um, And this time we wanted to talk about how to hold on to that feeling that we all have at the beginning of our careers where you know we're so driven by the excitement of providing care of being helpful in people's lives and having the ability to make a difference how do we hold on to that feeling particularly as the pressures in general practice mount I'm Navjoit Lada, a locum GP in London and the clinical editor for the BMJ. And while we don't have Tom with us today, we do have Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Navjoit. I'm Jenny Rasanathan. I'm a family medicine doctor and clinical editor for the BMJ. And Claire, welcome back. It's so good to have you back with us. Hi, great to be here. Thanks for having me back. I mentioned in my intro this feeling of disconnection from what made us pursue general practice or perhaps even medicine in the first place. Is that something you hear a lot from doctors? Yeah, it's, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. It's something that I see every day. And uh, people contact me literally on a daily basis about how they're feeling working in primary care and how that's affecting them both on a day-to-day basis, but overall and how they're feeling in themselves. And a lot of people are feeling exhausted, stuck, lost. They're finding it difficult to know how to move forwards in their career. And there's a massive sense of not really enjoying what they're doing anymore. And that, you know, how, you know, that excited feeling that probably most of us had when we left med school and we were like, hey, I'm a doctor. It's so great. I'm going to help people. And then that obviously becomes a realistic, real job as you go through your junior doctor days. But when I first started as a GP, I was thrilled, excited, just so felt so privileged to be in the role I was. And I loved doing what I was doing. And I think as time has changed um, with differences in our approach and also what's happened within the NHS with COVID, I think the toll on primary care has been enormous and I think a lot of that is expressed and felt by people in this overarching exhaustion and lack of joy in what they do. That's not for everybody. I do know a few people before I've worked with them that do feel that they have a joy in general practice but I think there's the overarching sense is of that sense of loss of loving what you do Um, and I suppose what I would like to do and what I do do with my clients is to look at how to fall back in love with what you do or to how to shape your career in order that it is become something that you actually really revel in and is fulfilling. And I think the probably the most important thing is to say to anybody listening who's feeling exhausted, burnt out, lost, not feeling like they are motivated in their career anymore and don't really enjoy what they do. There is always a solution. And it's about, I suppose, using some simple techniques to work out what the right solution is for you. And that may very well be falling back in love with what you're already doing. Okay, that's really reassuring to hear that there are there are ways forward, because sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it can be hard to see those. And especially, you know, general practice, whenever I think of general practice and kind of what it is and the all the positives about it, you know, the relationships we get to forge with with people, being embedded in the community, working with your teams, you know, it, it's 
it sounds so wonderful. And then I think, why is the reality so different? Um, so perhaps we can start by talking to you then about what, how, what's your approach initially when, when someone's saying, you know, I'm finding it hard to, to find joy in my work. So, I mean, obviously it's a multifaceted approach and the biggest thing is about putting somebody in their own story, which, you know, isn't, I suppose, totally relevant for us to really dwell on today because actually that's very personal to the individual. But knowing your story, knowing where you've where you've come from, what's important to you, what matters, um, what's changed, what's working, what isn't working is vital. And I use a framework which I've put together, which I, I call my three R's. And I find this a really useful framework, um, particularly for people who are looking to try and shape their careers themselves. And it's just an easy way to kind of break things down. Because as you say, actually, it, it's at a time when you feel really overwhelmed and exhausted and feel like it's just not possible to move forwards. So I find using my three R's, which will reflect, reinvent and rebuild, a really easy way to kind of break it down. And I think I said this to you last time that, you know, for me, I'm I'm not a big reflector. I think reflection is really important and thinking space is really important. But I find that I can't sit for long periods of time and reflect for great periods. So the, the joy of this, my three R's, is you can break it down to really tiny bite-sized pieces that you can do in the car or in the shower. Or you can sit for a long period of time and really sit and think and take some time over it. So it suits all different approaches um but it works and that's the joy of it that it it helps you to work out what you want and how you're going to get it i was wondering claire if you come across many people who just really struggle to know what they want um and how you kind of facilitate that conversation and i trying not to think too much about myself <laughs> Um, but I think, you know, for people who have interests and professional pursuits other than only clinical medicine in particular, it can be hard to say, you know, general practice is really hard and overwhelming. You know, I'm going to fall back in love with that when they have other interests and opportunities. And so, again, I'm just curious how you really guide people in getting a better sense of what they want for themselves professionally? Yeah. So there's so much in that. And the, and the first thing to say is that nobody that I've ever come across that's come to me has ever known what they want. And that's normal. And that's the reason that you um, either self-coach, do these exercises or speak to colleagues and friends or have some coaching because it's that exactly that nub of when you know what you want it's far easier to get it but when you're exhausted drained and depleted and perhaps you have an interest in clinical medicine but maybe you have an interest in lots of other things or and maybe that's creative pursuits or maybe it's work things or maybe you're not even sure if you want to do medicine anymore all of that is vitally important for shaping things how to go forwards and i i think a really good starting place in all of this is it's like going up a ladder very slowly and one step leads to the next but the, a really good starting place is asking yourself a question that um, is created by a guy called john lees he's a career strategist and it's just a really simple question and he basically says how is your job 
Okay, so this is the question you ask yourself. And the answers can be, it's like a multiple choice, either great job, it's like really great, perfect job, the best thing you could ever imagine, or kind of thumbs up, which means, yeah, you know, it's pretty good. It's more good than bad. I'm really happy with it. It's maybe not perfect, but it's pretty much there. It's good. Or the next one will be mustn't grumble, which is, you know, it's okay. I don't mind it. It's not bad, you know. Then there's someone's got to do it. As in, okay, well, really would prefer it wasn't me, but it brings in the money and someone's got to do it. And then the next one is clock watching. You know, when you get into work and you're literally desperate for the hours to go down. So this is a really good starting point because if you're in anywhere really between the sort of, if you're in the thumbs up and great job, then for you, it might be around looking at how you can streamline opportunities, you can optimize things, you can make things really shape towards that perfect for you dream career. Okay. If you're in this sort of clock watching, someone's got to do it and maybe in the mustn't grumble group, then actually there's a, a larger piece of work that needs to be done first, which is around reflecting about what really lights you up and what really depletes you. And that's the bit that's really important to do because until you can work that bit out, it's really impossible to kind of build the house, shape the career because you don't know what you're shaping it around. So that's kind of where I start. And then the next bit, which is just a really easy question to ask yourself, but quite fun to answer, is just to say was, when was the last time I had a great day at work? So maybe if it's okay with you, um, I'd like either one of you to say maybe sometimes something that was really just when you came home and you either told a friend or a relative and you just thought, you something really great happened today. Can you think of a time when that happened? I had a really great day at work yesterday. <laughs> Do oh, that's share. great timing. <laughs> so would you be happy to share that? I know. Like what, what, what was it yeah, that happened? No, I mean, I know that sounds really crazy. Um, no, I was super productive and I just got through my to-do list and things are working and I work with great people and it seemed fine. Okay. Yeah. So what was it about that day that was really great? So what was it? Okay. So you had, you got through your to-do list and you were chatting to great people and you had those people, but I suspect other days you do things off your to-do list and other days you connect with great people because you're working with similar people. So what was it about yesterday that was really just lit you up? I know. I mean, this sounds so boring, but it really was just actually making progress on a to-do list and just for me, even if I push myself to stay up late doing something, if I get it off my plate, that feels very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to find the motivation or maybe there are certain tasks that take time, which aren't as important. Um, and yesterday I just kind of had a clean slate to do a lot of stuff so it's something around having the t- I feel like I'm rubbing <laughs> it in <laughs> but this is important so it's something around so what I get people to do is to look into it a little bit deeper so what I can hear from you is it's something around having the time to do the work but also those tasks being useful and important and then completing them so that sense of having a, mm-hmm. a task and then going from 
the beginning of that task to the end of the task and having allowed it to come to fruition is satisfying for you. So there's an this element of that. And then it sounded like there was an element of working with great people, you said. So tell us a little bit about that, if that's okay. It is okay. I Just to kind of reflect back to you, I think it's the feeling of being effective, like being good at what you're doing and kind of making progress, which um, I resonate with. And uh, I mean, what can I say about the people on my team? They're so fantastic. And... <laughs> So what is it about them that is so fantastic? Um, well, Navjoit, for example. <laughs> yeah. no, I, didn't, uh, I didn't interact with you yesterday, no, so I'm going to take that very personally. <laughs> just to say, no, everybody is very smart and effective and positive and collaborative. So, there's, so for you, there's kind of two elements of what a great day was for you yesterday. There's this sense of being really effective in completing a task and that sense of really being good at what you're doing. And then there's this other bit about working with people that you really spark off mm-hmm. and are intelligent and you connect with both on a, a sort of personal level and on the sort of growth level as far as developing something. So that connectivity is also sounds like it's also inspiring to you. So if we kind mm-hmm. of just take that aspect, if that's okay, Jenny. So for you, a great day of work is something around connection and something around being really effective and completing tasks. So, and that really lights you up. And you were, when I said, when was it? You were like, yeah, yesterday, great. It was a great day. And that, you could see the joy in you. So for people to have a little think about when, when they last time had a great day at work and think, what was it about that day? And That's a starting point. And the reason that's so important is that when you're starting to shape and build a career, the more you can think about what lights you up, the more you can think about the specifics of that, the more you can start to build that into your career. Because the more, say, for example, I'm like you, Jenny, I love being around people that I connect with and make me feel inspired and excited. And for me, being around those people and that challenge me and, you know, that sort of thing makes me feel like I could you know, just get so much joy and I could, doesn't feel, makes me feel like I'm not at work when I'm interacting with people like that. I call them radiators rather than drain pipes. You know, the people that make <laughs> you feel that you can do anything. So knowing that means that for you, people would be a very important part of shaping your career going forwards and the right type of people. And the same for me, it might be something completely different from Navdroid. So it, it's about for the listener to really think about what lights them up. And what it is about, and an easy way to do that is to ask them that question about when you last had a great day. And then it's really useful to do the exact opposite, which is to say, when was the last time I had a really bad day at work? A day that was really, really challenging and really difficult. And not so much what happened in that day, but what it was about that day that was difficult. So maybe a patient was abusive towards you. Maybe you got a diagnosis wrong. Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe a senior colleague made you feel small. Maybe you didn't feel like you had the knowledge base for something. Maybe your interactions with a a team made you feel uncomfortable. It doesn't really matter what the thing was, but it's about what just like we did with the great day what it is about that experience that's difficult so for me i find if i you know had a i don't know it felt like i wasn't in a in a situation where i could offer my best or that actually i wasn't particularly good at that thing and therefore i felt like i was really 
shouldn't be in that situation. So say, for example, I was asked to write, I don't know, policy and I hate writing policies. And I would just feel like that was a really bad day for me. Whereas for somebody else, that might be the bit that lights them up. So once I know what depletes me and what drains me, then I can start to think, well, actually, that's really useful as well, because I need to shape my career away from that. That doesn't mean there won't be any bits in that, but actually it helps me to start thinking moving forwards when we get to the rebuild stage, what building blocks I'm going to put less in, in. So, and even if you think about it more simply, so I've had clients who, if we just think about it from a clinical point of view, who absolutely love, for example, menopause and just love seeing menopause patients, and but really hating frailty. I love doing frailty, but maybe say they're <laughs> hating, hating frailty. So for them, when they're in a clinical situation, they're doing frailty. For them, that feels very depleting. Whereas when they're in a menopause consultation, they feel really alive and etc. So there's a sense of when for that person, when they're moving forwards, when we get to the rebuild stage about how to not necessarily get rid of frailty, but maybe thinking, how can I do less of that? Maybe mm. there's somebody else who I work with who loves frailty like me and who would love to do that bit or to do more of that bit or to help me more with that bit so I can get better at it. And maybe there's somebody else that really isn't so good at menopause, or maybe I could do some training with them to develop them, or we could buddy up and stuff. So starting to just think, even on a, that sort of level, about what lights you up and what depletes you is really useful. And then we can layer it up some more. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. No, I, everything you've said really resonates. Um, I, I, as you were talking, I was just wondering how, um, you know, if, you, if you're coaching GPs, for example, mm. how individual do you find the answers to sort of what lights you up and especially what depletes you mm. how because I imagine there must be some recurring themes that so a lot of it is individual and relates to your kind of preferences your personality but I can imagine there is also a lot that is related to the system in which we're working you know um as as we were talking about you know the I was just thinking about the last time I had a bad day at work and it was you know an interaction with a patient and the patient was just really frustrated with kind of waiting times and kind of the you know the system the NHS mm. system and kind of you know t didn't take it out on me but just express their frustration and I felt really helpless um in that and I can imagine that's a kind of common theme so yeah so I guess my question is how do you sort of unpick that the things that are kind of well and do you need to actually is it about kind of what is in what's individual what's an individual preference versus also navigating the system in which we work yeah, I think, you know, that is true to a degree in the sense that, as we said right at the beginning, a lot of people are feeling exhausted. A lot of people find yeah. the lack of time with patients very challenging, um, wanting to do more, but hitting so many brick walls, you know, from a resource point of view can be very challenging. So those sort of things stand out. But I think everybody is an individual and there'll be mm -hmm. certain things that really, I'm not talking about getting a bit frustrated i'm talking about really sort of you come home and you say i've just had the worst day right. and and that feeling of is really important to harness what was it about that particular patient that you saw that and their frustration that they weren't taking out on you that made you feel like it was such a bad day now you mentioned the word helpless and i suppose that's then thinking about well what would help full if you like the opposite mm. of helpless what would that mean to you and mm -hmm. your answer to that might be completely different to mine might be completely different to jenny's because so 
the themes may be similar, but the solutions and the answers may be slightly different. And I suppose that's why there's more layering that helps. So once you've kind of worked out this basic questions, I then like to look at what motivates you and what depletes you. And, you know, that's that sort of thing of when you look in your diary for the week ahead and you think, yeah, I've got the best week coming up. So when I saw this in my diary, I'd say, yay, love this. Um, whereas other things, you know, you might have in your diary, you're like, mm, got 15 meetings, that are, you know, or so starting to see just even those simple things, you know, that thing where you want to put the duvet over your head and hide and think, mm-hmm. I just don't want this week. Those are really useful to start to build these building blocks. And then I think it's also really useful once you're kind of starting to get a picture of what motivates you, demotivates you, lights you up, etc., is then starting to think what stops you. So this sense of what block what blocks you. And because for a lot of people, they might go, well, yeah, but I love this. And then actually, oh, but I couldn't do that because I don't have enough time or I don't have the resources or yes, but I don't have the training. Yes, but I couldn't do that. Yes, but it's not possible. Yes, but there's people that are better than me. All these blocks, right? Fear, guilt, training resources age all there's just a gazillion blocks that we all face and those blocks become really big so then the next piece of work is around trying to break down those blocks and um what a really simple trick um is to again use a question by uh john lee so he says to look at this this these blocks and say you know how i just said yes but i haven't got enough time yes but i haven't got the resources that whole yes but thing so when you hear yourself going yes but i couldn't do that because of whatever that's the time to go right that's a block i'm scared or i'm feeling guilty or i'm so name it and then switch it on its head and that's my little bit is i like to say what if what if i did have the time what if i did have the resources what if I did have the training? What if age wasn't a barrier? And that sense of what if helps you to then create answers, which can help you to say, well, if I did have the time, what would I do? If I did have the resources or the training, what would they be? And starting to have those little conversations with yourself a bit, I suppose, helps to answer the question that you were asking right at the very beginning, Abdroy, about, you know, what if you don't know what you want? because nobody knows what they want, right? So these sort of questions say, well, if I did have the resources, what would I do? And first of all, you're like, I don't know. I, I, don't know. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to answer that. I wouldn't. And then you get a piece of paper and you literally just write anything that comes into your head, whether it's astronaut, dog trainer, clinical specialist in something. It doesn't really doesn't matter. Just write it on the list. And then I like to play a game with clients and start to come up with their top criteria in roles like what what would what would good look like and we'll come on to this in a bit later and then we start to shape their criteria and then we look at some of what's on that piece of paper on that brainstorming piece of paper look at what lights them up and then we start to build this puzzle of starting to say well what would match you how could we start to shape some of this towards what's matching you what other ideas have you not thought of that perhaps could be an option you know, that whole Jahari's window bit, things that you don't know that you don't know. How might you find out what's in that window? So it's like a whole layering up, walking up the ladder of putting the layers together and starting to build them. And that's really the essence of what the reflect bit in the art, the first R is. And then you get to the fun bit, 
which is the reinvent bit. Can I can I ask a question first before we go on? We seem to be talking about these choices from a place of privilege insofar as we're not talking about the real concrete barriers like I have to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious, I'm curious about what you would say, you know, for people who really do feel stuck in a role because they financially have no choice. Like they they have people to provide for. They need to, you know, accrue time towards a retirement scheme or what what have mm-hmm. you. You know, what about for people who really do not have the luxury <laughs> of kind of reflecting because they have real financial constraints? That's that's a brilliant question, but it's something that we are definitely going to be looking at in the rebuild bit because everybody has, well, 99% of people have real blocks, whether that's finances, whether it's caring for somebody, whether it's children, whether it doesn't matter what it is, we all have the practical bit. The problem that happens is that if you don't do the bits before the practical bit, what happens is that you are essentially so restrained by, I cannot do anything else because I have to do this, that essentially you remain stuck. And the process of reflecting, reinventing, and then rebuilding allows you to take all the idealistic stuff and then build in all the practical stuff. So the stage we're at the moment is getting, the reflect bit is getting to know yourself. The reinvent bit is the fairy godmother bit where if I could do anything in the world, which is totally impractical and I didn't have to worry about finances, caring, children, whatever your you know realistic lifestyle is, what would it look like? And then we build in all the practical bits and saying, actually, I need to learn, earn X amount. Actually, I need to be around this amount of time during the week. I need both of those to match up so that I can pay my mortgage. I need to, whatever it is. And so those practical bits are absolutely paramount and non-negotiable in the criteria that I was talking about before, but they are often such a huge block that they prevent thinking. So, so many of my clients will go, well, I can't do anything else because I need to earn X amount, or actually I need to earn 50% more, but that's not possible. But actually, most of the time when we rework what they're good at and we start to really look at where, when, how, or what they want to do for work, whether that's clinical, non-clinical or something else, or, you know, developing something, actually, most of the time, those practical constraints just help to fuel the goals and are fulfilled because it's not possible to do those things unless they are. Like you couldn't, if you need to earn X amount to pay your mortgage, and to look after your family, you have to earn X amount. That's the reality. So, but I suppose, I don't know if I'm making my, I'm saying this the right way, but essentially, if you don't do the work before it, then you'll always be stuck doing exactly what you're doing. And that's often what people come to me in this sort of stuck thinking, this blocked thinking. So by thinking, you don't have to change everything. But by thinking, it allows you to say, actually, do you know what? these are the options. But for me, the priority, actually, having looked at the options, are I need it to be local, I need it to be financially viable, and I need it to be this. And actually, for me, 
actually what I have right now works quite well. And I can sacrifice some of the other bits because I can get those bits from other parts of my life. And maybe if I build up those bits, I can still have the overall balance, but it's in a different way to how I've engineered it in my head now. So I suppose I can answer that bit more when we get to the rebuild stage, but it's vitally important. But I would say to anyone listening who's thinking, yeah, but I can't do that. You 100% can do the thinking because the thinking costs nothing. And as I said, takes the time that you're in the shower or takes the time that you're driving to work or going on the tube or however you're getting there or walking to work or whatever it is, that's thinking time is free. And mm-hmm. after that, you can then decide what to do with that information. Mm-hmm. That That's a really helpful response. And actually, yeah, there's kind of, I guess, always space to kind of reconsider things that we think of as barriers or which are, you know, the reality, um, but always different ways to um, consider those things. Yeah. So, I mean, if I give you a quick example, I had a client who was in his 60s and he said, I can't change. I can't do anything because I'm old. Okay. And we decided to ditch his age just for a second in this process. And we just said, let's just pretend that you're no age. You're just you. And the age, that number isn't there. And we looked at the space, the the reinvention stage particularly, and looked at what would good look like for you if we fast forwarded three years, five years, whatever it was. And we waved that magic wand and we talked about what good would look like. And suddenly when we've moved that, removed that ageism, that thing of like, I couldn't do anything because I'm this age. We were able to craft what he felt not only comfortable with, but joyful about. So rather than it being, I can't do this because I am this age, it was actually at this age and with my energy levels and with my knowledge base, I'd really like to be doing this, but maybe I would like to do less of that, but not because of my age, but just because that's what I want. And so he was able to craft his career to a very joyful place because we'd removed the age boundary and then put it back in at a later date and said, well, how how do we marry these two up? Where does it sit? And actually they sat really well together because we'd looked at it differently. So it's a bit like just standing on your head or having a box and kind of breaking through the the barriers of it and just looking in and thinking, well, what could this be as opposed to what is this? So it's just thinking about things differently. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, should we discuss then that reinvent stage? So, you know, we've had this opportunity to reflect. We've thought about the things that light us up and deplete us. What, What happens next, Claire? So, well, the next thing is to really go wild with ditching the guilt, the fear, the ages and the financial restraints and literally just almost like have a box in your hand, a pretend box, pick it up and throw it over your head and literally just say, right, if I was just being ridiculous, if I was being a fanciful, you know, a child with a wild imagination, what would good look like? So that's a really good common question to ask yourself and really think about if I was to wake up with my perfect week in three years' time, what is that? And to be thinking about, you know, not necessarily the semantics of what you're doing, but maybe, you know, am I seeing patients? How many days a week am I seeing patients? Am I doing something else? What else is in my week that makes it such a great week that I get that, whoa, I've got the best week coming up, that feeling. What does, if it's around, you know, you might, some people might be thinking, well, it's about balance. What does balance mean to me? What, what is that? So 
So because for some people, balance might be, um, we may talk about this later, but for some people, it might be working six days a week because that fills them up and they love that. For other people, it might be working two days a week. Thinking about in that role in the workplace, what does that look like? Is it with other people? Like for Jenny, there would be lots of like people that inspire her and light her up. Perhaps for other people, it might be working more isolated environment because they thrive on that. If it's patient facing, how how is that? Is that doing a role that's in a very acute setting or a chronic setting, community setting, primary care setting, something else, even if you can't put your finger on it? So that sort of general, where would I be? What would it look like? Who's around me? How many days am I working? What parts of the day are working? Am I working evenings, weekends, half days, full days, five days, seven days, what is it? And really starting to break it down, what is it, is a really great starting point to to try and work out this sort of imaginary world. And then I think, again, to get back to your thing of, well, I don't know what I want. A lot of people have no idea what they're good at. And so if, if, if you ask most people, they go, oh yeah, I'm a really good friend. Or (laughs) I'm really kind. They might know that about themselves. But most people have very little understanding of what they're good at. And so I think it's really useful to start to try and unpick that. Because once you know what you're good at, that can help again to build in the next layer of, of what this imaginary world might look like. So there's different ways to do that. You could just ask yourself and you might be able to write it down. So some people can do that. So you might say, right, what are my five skills and strengths that I really have? So I might be great with people or I might be, I don't know, amazing at doing presentations or I might be um, a great listener or I might be a, a superb you know, surgeon, in, you know, great at cutting or I don't know, whatever it is that you're really, really brilliant at and then you'd start to that's one way to do it but most people can't do that so one thing is that another way to do and I often get my clients to do is to pick five people from different parts of their life that they've known for different times so you might pick a school friend you might pick a relative you might pick a current new friend you might pick a colleague at work perhaps who's a peer and then maybe somebody that's perhaps a senior or a more junior person and then ask them, what do you think my strengths are? And if that's too hard a question, just say, I listened to this ridiculous podcast and this silly, crazy woman called Claire said, I should do this. So that's why I'm doing it. Just blame it on me. I don't care. Everyone blames it on me. I don't care. So just go and ask them and ask them to think about not the general stuff about you, that you're really lovely, you know, the sort of bland stuff, but just really get to the semantics of what is it about you that makes me think that you, this is your strength and this is what you're really good at. So maybe you're a brilliant negotiator. Maybe you're, um, you motivate people. Maybe you're, you know, there's a huge amount of skills and strength. And then the trick is to get that person to write it down. So don't just let them to tell you on the phone, but send you an email, send you a WhatsApp with those five strengths from five different people and start to see some themes. And a lot of the time what happens is those five people will come back with a very similar pot of skills. 
And if that feels too hard, then what I would strongly suggest people do is to go onto the VIA website, VIA. It's free and there is a strengths uh, um, survey that you can do. It takes about 10, 15 minutes. There's lots of evidence behind it. It's well validated. And you that then comes up with a list of your top strengths. And that's really important because it helps you to say, okay, so I'm starting to see what lights me up at work, what demotivates me. I'm starting to understand where I feel I'm at work at the moment with that John Lee's question that we asked at the beginning. I'm starting to think about why I've got a lot of fear and a lot of guilt and I've got other blocks in my way, which I'd want to break down. In a perfect world in fairyland, my week would look like this, but I don't know what I'm good at oh, hang on, these are some of the strengths that I'm starting to build up. And suddenly we're starting to build up this sense of more of who you are and what this could look like, as in what good would look like moving forwards. And then that's when we get to the criteria. All right, well, we're going to ask you more about that, Claire, when we come back um, after this quick break. When you're a GP, you're not just nine to five. Being a GP is part of who you are, whatever the time of day. So when it comes to your indemnity, you need someone you can turn to at any time. Medical protection is always here for you, with expert medical legal advice, including 24-7 in an emergency. We don't just cover patient claims. We're also here to provide support and legal representation when it comes to GMC inquiries, coroner inquests, criminal investigations, and more. Online, we offer risk prevention courses and webinars to keep you up to date with current news, risks, and legislation. We also go the extra mile when it comes to your well-being. With a free counselling service and e-care app, we're helping members take positive steps to better mental and physical health. It's the protection your career deserves, all in one place. And if you're about to qualify or have recently qualified, we can help you take the next step in your career with savings on membership for newly qualified GPs. To find out more, visit medicalprotection.org. Now we're back with... Claire and Jenny. Um, so Claire, you were going to tell us about the next the next stage after reInvent. Yeah. So well, this is kind of still part of reInvent because this is a fun bit about we know our skills now. We're starting to get our strengths and our skills, more of an understanding of who we are. And then another fun thing to do is to say if you know in your perfect week that you'll be doing some sort of clinical work, but you aren't sure where that is, how it is. Maybe it's in primary care, maybe it's in another setting, but you, you just don't know what it is. It's useful to start thinking about any area, if we just if we just think about it from the clinical point of view for a moment, any area in medicine that you've ever considered to do ever, right? And the, or any interest and or any area of medicine that you've ever thought was interesting, even if you've never gone down that route, wouldn't ever consider doing it. But just to start to brainstorm and literally just write a list of anything. So it might be that you um, really liked nephrology when you were in med school, but never thought it would be a career for you and actually did, you know, momentarily thought and then thought, oh, no, no, I couldn't do that for various reasons, whether they were true or not true and never went back to it. Write it down. 
It might be that you have always, you know, quite like palliative care, but don't really know anything about it, write it down. It might be that you um, really love general practice, write it down. It might be that you really love menopause, but wouldn't know how to integrate it. Or maybe you've really thought about lifestyle medicine, or maybe you thought about being a cardiologist, but or wouldn't want to retrain, write it down. Literally just any area of medicine that you've ever thought about. Maybe it's homeless medicine, maybe it's prison medicine, maybe it's ship medicine, maybe it's working in pharma, anything at all that you've ever considered. That's if you're thinking that there's some sort of clinical work within your week. And then what we start to do is to then leave that list for a second and start to then think about what your non-negotiable criteria will be, which is a bit into rebuild, but they kind of start to come together. So it might be like if we take Jenny's situation that she'd need to be doing something where there was tasks. So it was task orientated and that she could complete things, something where there was people around and then there'll be a whole other list of criteria. Maybe it needs to be local. Maybe it needs to be financially at a certain level. Maybe she needs to be earning 50% more. Maybe it's um, got to be three days a week or five days a week. Stuff that's like, actually, it needs to be this, this and this and this. And then we start to pull the two the two things together, those two lists together. And we start saying, okay, so if I am just taking like a broad brush view of this, do I think that nephrology, from what I know of it, could possibly offer me what's on my criteria? And you start to think, well, I don't really know. So actually, I'm just going to give it a number out of 10 of how likely I think that's going to work. So from the information that I know, does that marry up? So I want to be working X amount of time for X amount of money in this location and the training needs to be this and the on-course needs to be that. Does that fit? And you give it a number out of 10. And you literally just go down your list and give it a number out of 10 of how suitable, just from the information you know right now, how suitable you think it might be. And you're starting to get a feel of the things that are kind of near the top of your list. So nephrology might be right up there, but actually maybe public health or occupational health, which you never really considered, is maybe a six or a seven and maybe something you'd never thought about before. Or maybe there's an aspect of general practice. Maybe it's around managerial work or um, maybe it's around looking around, um, you know, helping around employment or maybe it's around CCGs and there's other aspects that work. You think, oh, I never really thought that actually that kind of might appeal. I'm not sure how it would look. Would it be my whole day or my whole week or would it just be a bit? But there's something in it. And then the rebuild stage is the bit when you start to pull it all together. So you're starting to see what lights me up, what needs to be in there, what would be a perfect world kind of role. There's a few roles in here that actually might fit that criteria, but I don't really know. My skills kind of sit along line that, but I don't really know if, if that's the right skills. There's a bit of, I don't know bit. And I've got to have the right amount of money and I've got to have the right location. I don't know if there's even a job around that. And that's when the research bit comes. And so we take the top, your top criteria, and then we start to prioritise those around what really is, you know, the top of the top, non-negotiable. Might be finances, might be days a week, it might be location, might be something else. And we look at the list of ones that have come out, maybe you've written 50 different roles down, and we look at maybe the top five or six roles that seem to stand out just as a gut feeling and then we research 
And we look at lots of different ways of researching those roles. And that can be from Google searches. Um, that can be from, you know, speaking to people that are doing roles, networking, going through um, social media and looking at other people that are doing those roles on, you know, big groups like alternative careers for doctors and things like that. So getting a sense of the role and then starting to pull it all together. And Claire, does that that research stage, does that also encompass, you know, the things that you might not have thought about as well? Like where, where does that come in? Because we mentioned it earlier, you mm. know, there'll, there'll be things that you don't know that you're interested in or that you can't quite tap into or remember. Yeah. Um, so when, when does that come into it? So absolutely. So that might be, so at this point you'd be saying, okay, so I've got my list, but maybe there's something else that I don't know that I don't know, like you're saying. And so what we then do is look at how you can fulfill that. So it might be, and this is one that I love to get people to do, is to just get them to speak to people that they know in both their career and um, in the people they work with and family and friends to just tell them about your career. So it might be that you speak to one of your GP colleagues and say, tell me about your career and what you've done. And they might say, oh, you know, I used to be in aviation medicine and then I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. So then I did a, a bit of work for the CCG and then I've developed that into a role around teaching and all these things that you never knew about them, even though you work with them day in, day out. And some of that may be relevant to you, but some of it may not be. And then you speak to that person, you say, well, that's really interesting. I'm not sure any of that is really where I'm going or, you know, but but actually... Is there anybody else that you think's had a really interesting career that I could speak to? And they may say, oh, yeah, have you spoken to this partner he, or this salary doctor or whoever? They, they've done some really cool stuff. I don't know if it's what you're interested in, but just start to speak to people and speaking to non-medical people as well, because they might be there might be someone in your family that's a teacher, for example, and they tell you about their teaching experience. You think, you know what, I wonder if I could be doing teaching in some form within primary care that would really fulfil me. Maybe it would be linked to the university, maybe it'd be in-house, maybe it'd be teaching registrars, maybe it'd be teaching patients, but teaching kind of feels kind of good. Another way to do it is to go to conferences. So um, not to trump our own, you know, to blow our own trumpet, but BMJ um, Careers Fair is brilliant. Um, so there's lots of ways of, you know, there's lots of talks, there's lots of people who've got different experiences, who've had different roles, you know, doctors who have become authors, who are in medical journalism, who are being editors in the BMJ, you know, all sorts of different different roles, different things that you don't know how to get into. And then there's all sorts of other conferences as well where people are looking at alternative careers. And this isn't about leaving general practice. I think this is really important. This is about you understanding what lights you up. So if you start to realise actually you're a brilliant communicator, you're you feel really like you had a great day at work when you taught a bunch of medical students or you taught some registrars. Um, you feel really stuck because financially it's got to look like X. There may very well be a way that you can incorporate teaching in a completely different way to how you've seen it done before. So it might be that the university pay you as, a, as an individual to bring to students and you on your day off teach students at your practice. It might be that the university pay, pays your practice and you teach. It might be you teach in-house. It might be you provide a journal club for the people within your practice and your role doesn't change at all. It might be that you have an expert patient group that you teach, that you get together with the expert patient and you're teaching patients in the evening or at lunchtimes or 
all sorts of things. So it's about thinking outside the box. So I suppose to answer your question, how do you know the stuff you don't know? It's talking to people. And you can do that in any way you want to, whether that's on social media and investigating things. It can be talking to individuals that you know and you feel comfortable with. It can be going on conferences. It can be reading articles. It's just about thinking outside the box. Clearly, I am not the uh, prototypical example you just used in, in, you know, people kind of identifying for themselves good communication skills. <laughs> because when I talk to people about, you know, their jobs or in the past when I've tried to network around finding a job or considering new opportunities, I find that I am very awkward, <laughs> like putting myself <laughs> out there like, hey, <laughs> don't you want me to come work for you? <laughs> Um, and I'm just curious, you know, like, how, how would you kind of coach people or talk to people about overcoming that hump or awkwardness around talking to people and trying to network? Okay, they don't need to. And that's the truth. So the, t- the reason being is that it's networking feels like a dirty word, right? Because it only feels like it fits with people who are extroverts and who are super confident. Hey, I'm so great. I can do this. And it's absolute nonsense. We all, as doctors, speak to people every day. And it doesn't matter whether you're an introvert, a social introvert, an extrovert, an introverted extrovert, or however you class yourself. But talking to people is what we can all do. And we can either, and we do it in our own way. So the way that I will speak to be someone will be completely different to how you guys do it and completely different to how the next person does it. And networking is just talking to people. In all these conversations, you're not asking anybody for a job. All you're doing is asking them to tell you about their experience of their own career. And if there's something interesting about it, or if you like that person and, and you feel comfortable with them, you might then say, could you connect me with somebody else that might have an interesting career? Or that sounds amazing about aviation medicine. I didn't even know that was a thing. Is there anybody I could speak to about that? Now, if that feels too hard, which for some people it absolutely does, then that's where things like social media are brilliant. Because if you were to go onto Facebook and be a voyeur and go into one of these big groups that have got 30,000 people and you were to type in, I don't know, aviation medicine, medical journalism, prison medicine, etc. or tribunal medicine or whatever it is, right? Type in one of those. Nine times out of 10, somebody's asked that question before and there will be a list of answers right in front of you. And if you were feeling brave but didn't really want to speak to someone, you could send them a message, a direct message through one of those social media channels and say, I saw all that you made a comment. Um, I just wondered what your experience was of this role. What was really good? What was not so good? Or I saw that you really fell back in love with general practice what was it about it what did you how did you do that just asking the question now if that felt really impossible then you could say okay well what could I read where could I look so again think about things that are obvious we're doing this BMJ podcast the BMJ have got loads of career resources with loads of career articles pick up the BMJ flicking through some articles if that doesn't feel comfortable go online and write different careers or optimizing general practice careers there's loads of articles about how you can do things because what one of the big things that we suppose we haven't talked about is around thinking about this question of do i need to tweak my career do i need to make a few changes or do i need to completely turn it on its head 
And knowing that bit is really useful because once you start to know, actually, do you know what? Generally, my skill set is X and what light me up, lights me up is Y. And actually, I get a lot of that in general practice. I'm just exhausted and feel burnt out and etc. It might be that tweaking is really useful. So I think maybe I've told you this example before, but I've had several clients where on paper, their career at the beginning of our coaching is exactly the same at the end of their career, at, at the end of the coaching, but they have tweaked their career so that it actually makes them fall back in love with it. So so one person um, was a partner, was ready to leave, hated it, felt overwhelmed. And actually, then when we looked at things, actually general practice really fitted her criteria. It was people-centered. She loved the, um, you know, she loved all of, uh, you know, medicine and the science of it. She loved having time with patients. She loved so much of it. But actually the bit that she didn't like, she seemed to be doing quite a lot of. And so when we tweaked it and actually she built up the bit that she really did enjoy, suddenly, actually, she was in her dream career. And actually, I had a, a, a text from somebody just the other night when I was having sitting having my dinner for one of my old clients. She said, I just want you to know that I have fallen, I have the dream career. And this is somebody that wanted to leave general practice. She's still doing general practice. She said, I have my dream career. Everything has fallen into place. And it was because she had the control and she'd chosen how to do her medicine and she'd chosen in what way and she'd chosen, she knew that it married up with her strengths and she knew that financially it gave her what she needed and she was back in control of her in life. So it's all of this is just about doing it your way, but thinking outside the box while you do it. I do think there's something also, I mean, that's so... That must be so rewarding as well for you as a coach to hear that because that's so lovely. Um, but what it also sort of reminds me of is when we're tired, when we're exhausted, we kind of forget what options we have or even mm -hmm. that we have options. And I, I can imagine that's a big part of it as well is kind mm -hmm. of just sort of whether it's reframing things or just sort of opening your eyes actually to to the fact that we can make tweaks if, mm -hmm. if that's what it requires. It might be that bigger change is necessary. But um, I, I find that for myself is one of the biggest things is I can kind of get a bit stuck thinking that it has to be this way, but that that's definitely not always the case. I'm really glad you said that now, Joy, because I think that is another thing that maybe we haven't mentioned, which is that it takes emotional energy and time to do this kind of like reflective work and even yeah. giving yeah. yourself the space and energy to think like this, you know, and if you're working 25 hours a day, you know, it's, it's really difficult to be like, oh, what was my dream career? But that's, that I suppose I would challenge Jenny, because I think that that's exactly what we were saying before, is that if you think differently, it doesn't need to be this big piece of work. Like, obviously, I've said a huge amount, but this is something that might take you a few months to get to. And this isn't about finding your, if you could say to yourself, right, I want my dream career. I don't know about you, but I'd run a mile from that question. That's impossible, impossible. But what is possible is to spend five minutes in the shower and going, what was great about today? Or how do I view my career overall? Actually, it's kind of a thumbs up or actually maybe I, maybe I do quite like it. Or maybe it's clock watching. I need to make some changes here. And that might be all you do that day. And that, however exhausted we are, it's just about giving, it's the, the only bit you need to do is to give yourself permission to start the process. 
And it might take you six months, it might take you two weeks, it might take you a day, depending on how you think about it and how much exhaustion is in your life. And there'll be some people that can completely do this on their own. But clearly, seeing as I have a career, you know, there are lots of people that come to other people for help. And that's also absolutely fine, whether that's, you know, some some people do it together in pairs, from friendship pairs, other people come to a coach. So if you find that this is too big, or you're too exhausted or too depleted or too burnt out, having a coach helps. Doesn't need to be me, can be me, but it can be a huge amount of other people out there. So it's about recognizing that if you really can't do this on your own, that's fine. But it doesn't have to be this overwhelming, enormous block because actually then you'll never do it. And then if you change nothing, nothing changes. So, so many of my clients are doctors. So many of my clients are in primary care. And so many of them come to me going, I'm leaving medicine, I can't stand it. And I would say 95% of them are still in medicine, still and either tweaked it or fallen back in love with what they were already doing. So it's about control and it's about accepting that there can be change, but change that is, that's tailor-made to you as in that feels okay, that feels easy as opposed to exhausting and overwhelming. You're you're right, of course. I, I get I guess um I guess you must hear that response a lot, Claire, like people feeling like, you know, it, it's it's too much, it's too big, it's too it and it's too overwhelming. And it is, but I suppose the message is it doesn't have to be. It's and it's that's around your mindset about whether giving yourself permission to do it in the way that's most comfortable for you, easiest for you, in a way that's that works for you. Yeah. Well, Claire, that sort of empowering note feels like a good place to kind of wrap things up. That's been such a informative and enlightening conversation. I think there's a lot to reflect on and to potentially reinvent and rebuild. But um, it was so interesting. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Deep Breath In. We've added links in the show notes for you to have a listen to Claire's previous podcast with us, as well as some links to other resources. As always, we'd really love to hear from you. So if you've got any ideas about things you'd like us to cover or any other feedback, please let us know via email at practice at bmj.com. We'd love to know what you think. Uh, And you can also let us know by liking and reviewing us wherever you're listening to this, it's really helpful for us to get Deep Breath In shared more widely. So please do like and review. Uh, we'll be back with another episode in a fortnight. This time we're covering long COVID, which it's been a while since we visited, but we thought it'd be high time for an update about what's happening now. So that's all for this week. So thanks so much to our guest, Claire Kay, and thanks so much to Jenny. Bye for now. <laughs>